This is a WTF podcast experience. People are not good at setting expectations and boundaries. And that's why team morale goes down. That's why bullying starts. Even CEOs don't like when somebody says I'm being bullied because they think, oh my God, the first thing that comes to mind is PG. Welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. A collection of ferrets is called a business and here on New Zealand's most awarded business podcast, we tame the ferrets once and for all. We welcome entrepreneurs, leaders and inspirational figureheads to inform, educate, motivate and inspire. My name's Freddie Bennett. I'm an Englishman in New Zealand and I'm an entrepreneur, best-selling author and a wannabe podcast host. And today, everybody, we have got a real treat in store for you. I am delighted to welcome Gail Page from Positive Pathways to the Taming the Ferrets studio. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Gail, tell us about yourself and and tell us about your business. Thanks very much, Freddie. I'm excited too, because this is my first podcast in a long time, but the first ever face-to-face podcast. Wonderful. Which is pretty cool. Exactly. And I'm a Scot living in New Zealand. <laughs> so. It's a good start, isn't it? We, we have a New Zealand, New Zealand's most awarded business podcast with an Englishman interviewing a Scot. Hey, <laughs> you can't get much better exactly. than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's really good to be here. And um, you're saying about my business. So my business, as you say, is Positive Pathways. I've been in business 23 years. And you know how most people talk about they've got four pillars to their business? Well, I haven't. Hmm. I've got what I would class as like the old milking stool. You know, the one little squat one with three legs? Yep. Not that I'm squat with three legs, I have to say. Um, But I look at it that the milking stool is really quite um, stable, Mm. probably more stable than an ordinary chair. And the legs of the milking stool are communication, relationships, and mindset and the seat of the stool is the conversations that we have the conversations like that we have with other people but mainly the conversations that we have with ourselves because those are the most important conversations we will ever have because they dictate every conversation we have with other people which then dictates the relationship that we have with them the way we communicate with each other and obviously the mindset that we're in when we talk to those people. So mm. who do I work with? Well, I work with a variety of people. I work with entrepreneurs who are setting up. Sometimes they're not in the right headspace and they just need somebody to bounce ideas around with to see which ones will fly and which ones won't. Mm. I never give advice. I just help people look at different mm. options. Mm. It's a lot safer that way. Uh, I also work, I suppose, pretty much anybody from someone just starting out in their journey in uh, the working environment, all the way up to CEOs, because it doesn't matter what your title is. Each one of us has to have a relationship with ourselves that's conducive. Mm. I think that, that that's a great intro. And 
how how did you get into this? How did you say so you, you've you've been on this this on this pathway? There you go. That's Please. a double meaning. Ah, and should, a positive one. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I should be a podcast host with these ideas. It's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> but you have been on this positive pathway, as as you're saying, for yeah. for a number of years. Is this something that you always wanted to do? Did you always have this this ambition, or, or, no. or was was your pathway to, to this slightly you know, slightly uh, all over the place? Uh, convoluted, <laughs> in on steroids. Mm. Now, I if you had told me twenty three years ago that I would have been in business, I would have laughed in your face, literally. Mm. You know, when I was growing up, my family didn't have much money, and. People who were in business, I think my dad kind of revered them. Mm. And all I used to hear about was, oh, so-and-so, you know, he's in business, or she, mind you, there weren't many women in business at the time. And um, my dad would, would always say, God, you know, they have to work so hard and such long hours mm. in their business. And I started off, sort of just to sort of step back a little bit, I started off... I always wanted to be a nurse from, I think, about the age of five when I got my first nurse's uniform uh, for a Christmas present. Mm. And I wore it everywhere, you know, taking people's temperatures and listening to their chest with my with my. Stethoscope. I did the same, to be honest, Gail. I yeah. got, mine, got mine when I was seven and oh, well, uh, nothing, nothing like walking around in a nurse's uniform. <laughs> I'm sure you wore it well. Some, some weekends <laughs> when I'm a bit bored even now, but that's a whole other podcast and a different story. So we'll we'll leave that one there. So Maybe carry. we need to have a talk about Maybe that. Maybe we do. <laughs> Sorry, you carry on. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I, I grew up always wanting to be a nurse. When I was 16, there was a, a scheme started where you could have nursing cadets uh, in a psychiatric hospital. And, of course, when I told my mum I wanted to go there, she looked at me as if I'd gone out. She said, what do you mean? She said, I thought you wanted to be a proper nurse. And I said, well, this gives me the opportunity to spend time in each of the different um, departments of a hospital. I think it's a great idea because it lets you try before you buy, if you like. Mm. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so I decided I was going to do my training as a psych nurse. And I was very good at it, even though I say so myself. You know, a lot of really, really difficult cases, I seemed to get on with, with, with the people who were struggling. Mm. And they, they talked to me. And then um, I had had a plan in my head that I was going to finish my training, I was going to qualify, and then I was going to join the Air Force as an officer. Mm. That was the plan. Didn't quite turn out that way. Mm. I met a guy who was in the Air Force and I was still nursing. And then 12 days before I was due to sit my intermediate exams, my father died, Mm. which was totally unexpected and it really rocked me. And I took my exams and I passed, but I built this narrative up in my head that they only let me pass because my father had died. Mm. Now, there's no way that that would be allowed because the examiners, they don't know who you are. Mm. But it was such a powerful story that when it was about oh, six months before I was due to sit my finals, I convinced my then fiancé that we should get married. Mm. And I didn't sit my finals. Now, I haven't told many people that. But I think it's something that, you know, in the past I was kind of ashamed of mm. because I thought, 
well, I should have done it. And that means that I'm not good enough. Mm. All these stories that we tell ourselves are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so although he was rather shocked, we got married <laughs> and I could see all the neighbours sort of counting on their fingers, you know, oh, do you think she has <laughs> to get married? Mm. And uh, so anyway, that was sort of the end of my nursing career. Mm. Then later on, after my daughter was older, I became a social worker. And, well, let's say six months into my training, I decided, nah, this is really not for me because I'm a Gemini and yeah. Geminis don't do boxes very well. <laughs> and although um, social work is very prescriptive and it has to be, that's not for me. Mm. But this time I stayed on and I qualified as a social worker and then probably decided I was not going to do it ever. Yeah. And I got divorced and took some time out. And I had found out about assertiveness oh, a couple of years before that. Somebody at a party had said to me, they'd listened to me bantering with this chap, and I used to love it. Mm. Because when you're a wife of in the Air Force, you have to be able to hold your own. Yeah. And I've been very lucky that, you know, since I was a child, I've been able to talk my way out of a paper bag. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so I was having this banter with this guy, and I went off to get a, um, a drink. And this woman, who I'd never met, came up to me and she said, I've been listening to you, Gail. I wonder who you could become and how your life could change if instead of being passive-aggressive, you learned how to be assertive. And I, <laughs> I looked to her as if to say, what the? My God, I didn't know her from Adam. Mm. And off she went. Now, no one knew her. I asked her around at the party. The host didn't know her. Anyway, cutting a very long story short, I ended up, I got a job as a teacher of assertiveness after doing the training, obviously. And uh, I loved it. Mm. Absolutely loved it. And it was in a local college with adult students. And there was such a mix of um, disciplines that they came from. There were nurses, uh, doctors, Anybody and everybody who just wanted to learn how to communicate more respectfully and more effectively, mm. which is what assertiveness is all about. In the meantime, somebody that I knew who was a service manager in social services rang me up and she said, I hear you're teaching assertiveness. Can you come along and facilitate a meeting for me? Because I've got 30 angry social workers at each other's throats <laughs> and they won't attend monthly meetings because they don't want to be verbally attacked. And I said, oh, no, no, that's not what you need. You need me or somebody like me to come in, interview them individually, find out what's going on, and then do a team-building day. Mm. And she said, great, when can you do it? And I'm thinking, oh, sh I've never <laughs> done a team-building day. But I knew I could, because mm. it was pretty much like running workshops. And I did, and I have to say, it's still amongst the top three in 23 years. Mm. But the funny thing is, I said to my students, because after, after I did that workshop for Anna, the phone never stopped. People yeah. ring me up and say, come and sort my team out. I hear you sorted Anna's out. And they didn't even <laughs> ask how much, which, you know, when you're a Scot, oh, that's really racist, but hey, we're not, we're not tight. We're, we're, we're clever with money. Definitely. Exactly. Um, I said yes. Mm. And after that, I thought, crikey, I'm getting a lot of people wanting me to work with them. I think I'm in business. Mm. And that was it. And I think I, 
I came up with about six or seven different names and I said to my students, this is a situation, I need you to help me choose a name. And there was only two that I remember. One was Positive Pathways and everybody chose it. Mm. And the second one was Talking Point. And that was it. So, as I say, 23 years on, mm. I'm still getting paid to do what I love, but I felt quite a bit of imposter syndrome along the way because I hadn't put in all the hard yards that my dad said that business owners have to do. You know, I really don't feel as if I've worked a day <laughs> in my life since I started my business because I love it. Mm. You know, seeing the change in people when they learn how to communicate more effectively, how they learn to stop all the negative self-talk that's going on in their heads. Man, it's Definitely. such a privilege and such a joy to be part of that. Mm. It really is. It's such an... I know we've... Well, you and me have discussed this this story offline, Get I think it's such an amazing story and there's... There's so many different parts that, that I want to, to unpack. The first thing I have to ask is is about the woman at the party, which was clearly a turning point for mm. you. I love uh, you know, all, all these concepts of, uh, do you think it was a real person? Do you think it was uh, a sign, a message? What What's your, your thoughts on it? Do you know, the funny thing is I've asked myself that over the years mm. and I would love it if I could meet up with that woman yeah. and say thank you because you literally changed my life. Mm. I must admit at the time it felt really doo -doo 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 yeah. because no one knew her. Mm. Most people hadn't even seen her. Yeah. And I'm quite a spiritual person and I'm, I'm driven by my intuition. Mm. You know, I can tell just by somebody's energy when they walk in the room how I'm going to respond to them yeah, and how they might respond to me. Mm. And that's not me being ego-driven. That's just me knowing. You know, in my family, um, in the Scottish um, Highlands, there's a, there's a name called Faye, F-E-Y. Mm. And, well, it's a name. Maybe there is a woman called Faye. Who knows? Maybe. I've never met her. Mm. Maybe she's like the woman. That came to the party. And the woman at the party, oh, definitely. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in Scotland, if you have, I suppose they call it like a heightened sixth sense, mm. uh, then you're called Faye, if you want. Yeah. And it's shown up several times in my life, very, very strongly. Mm. The first time the night my father died, because I sat on my bed at exactly the time that he passed away. Really? And didn't surprise me and then another time when my daughter was oh maybe about six months and we didn't have much money although my husband was in the air force so instead of paying out for a separate cot duvet i bought a single duvet rolled it up at the bottom because mm. she was only six months but she was such a little wriggle bottom you know <laughs> and i can remember waking up and seeing my dad standing by the door beckoning me to come with him Really? And when I went through to the bedroom, my daughter was right down the bottom of the bed under the duvet. Mm. Now, you can call that woo, you can call that my imagination, a dream, a sign. It really doesn't matter mm. because my daughter was safe when I got up. 
Um, and then the other time was when my mother was taken ill. Mm. And I knew I was in Germany at the time. And I just got this sense that something was very wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And I knew, when, you know, when we got back, there was an officer at the door saying, hey, um, you have to go to camp. Yeah. And we know that that means only one thing, mm. that somebody's relative is either sick or died. Yeah. Or died. And I knew it was my mum. Mm. I knew. And, you know, I think it's stood me in good stead having intuition so strong. Mm. The only time it's not is when I have ignored my intuition and let my head rule. And that's really interesting. I wanted to, to, to look at that a, a bit more, if we may, because I think in so many people listen to this podcast and we think about, you know, business, relationships, these big life decisions. And, and I've been there myself as well when I've I've done things and my intuition has said, this isn't you, this isn't the right thing that you should be doing. But again, you, we tell ourselves a story and That's we have right. the narrative and mm. we say, oh, but this makes sense and there's so many reasons why this should work. And we go down this, again, this, this dare I say, a negative pathway or a pathway that at least turns into a, into a negative outcome. Mm. There's other times, it, we all have these intuitions these gut feelings these these stories that we tell ourselves yeah. how do you think we we listen to them and then how do we we tune into them and also believe them i think quite often there's like a physiological signal mm. you know i know that if my intuition's telling me something and my head comes in the logical side of me comes up with all these reasons why it should work mm. I always get um, a slight temperature change. Mm. I feel warm, pardon me, but not in a nice way. Right. Uh, you know, if you've done something wrong mm. and you get like a flush. Yeah. Uh, because you might get found out. Mm. Not that I do many things wrong. Just saying. That's what I'm here for, Gail. <laughs> don't you worry. If there's, if there's. If any police are listening, by the way, I obviously haven't committed any crimes. And um, but no, I've, I've I've certainly been there in the past where you're like, um, I'm sailing a bit close to the wind here. Yeah, but I think we we actually know it. Mm. You know, on a knowingness level, yeah. but we we choose to ignore it. Mm. And you know, for the listeners, if they stop and say to themselves, "Okay, when is a time?" where I didn't listen to my intuition mm. and take themselves back to that time and mm. reimagine what they were thinking, what they were feeling, what they were sensing, mm. what was their self-talk, all those things, they will be able to recognise what it is that tells them mm. that they're not listening to their intuition. And it's, I say, it's super interesting because, I mean, I've even though this is a, I always like to use these episodes as like a as like a like a public counselling session for myself which is always good or a public <laughs> therapy sessions I mean I, you talk about the business world and I've certainly been there in, in the world of work before when I've I've been offered a job that was a big pay rise and I there's something you know inside of me that said this isn't you this isn't what you were meant this isn't what you were put on the planet for this mm. isn't your purpose this isn't all these things but then you say, but what about the money? And I could get a new car and there's more holidays and all these things. But then I've been in those positions and and it hasn't worked. It's never worked out. And it's just caused me more pain, more stress, more sleepless nights. Yeah. And I think it just shows. And what, what do you think of this as well? 
I believe the universe will keep teaching us lessons until we we actually learn from them and oh, that might be 100%. a similar situation uh, you know, whether it's meeting the same type of person over again in terms of relationships mm. or the same business situations and how do we uh, talk about that that narrative that self-narrative how do we get ourselves out of this pattern how do we finally say you know someone's trying to tell me something here i need to, to make a change in my life mm. i think you know what you were saying about buying the cars the big mm. house and all those things you know so many people will say to me i'll be happy when yeah okay and one guy was talking about buying a new car it was quite an expensive car mm. so i said to him what is it about this car that you want so much mm. and he said well I, I just want that car so i said is it is it the the look of it Will it give you kudos if people see you driving it? Mm. Will it give you a rush when you hear the sound of the engine? Mm. Or is it the feel of the leather or the smell of a new car? Mm. Or just the sound of the engine purring when you're driving along? What is it? Because a car, irrespective of whether it's a Lamborghini or an old Mini, Mm. is still just a piece of metal that will take you from A to B. Yeah. And he looked at me and he went, yeah, but I want that car. I said, I know you do. What is it you want about the car? And it was freedom. Mm. Freedom to choose what he wanted, when he wanted, and the freedom to spend money as he chose. Mm. Because he had never, ever been allowed to spend money when he was little and when he was growing up. Mm. He was made to feel less than when he was a child, as if he would never amount to anything. Interesting. And this was him freeing himself from that narrative. Mm. But you know, the funny thing is, when I said to him, so these people that told you you would never amount to anything, mm. why is it you're allowing them to still bully you? Mm. And he looked at me, what do you mean? I said, because every time you replay that story in your mind, you add another layer to it, and another, and another. Mm. What if you just chose to tell yourself a different story and to believe differently about yourself and your worth? What if you started to self-validate Mm. and tell yourself that you were good enough rather than expecting other people to tell you you were good enough because you were driving this fabulous new car mm. with an engine that purred. He never bought, the, he never bought that car. Didn't he? He bought a new car, but mm. he didn't buy that car because he didn't need to. I think this is it's so interesting, that whole the stories we tell ourselves and the, and, and the self-narrative, as you say, because I, I speak to hundreds of people every week and so many of them say things like oh, I'm no good at business I'm terrible at maths I'd love to do this but I'm not adventurous I'd love to do that but I, I hate public speaking all of the stories that we tell ourselves and, and I wanted to come on to this whole uh, narrative piece because I I personally believe you know, we live in a world of social media um, you know, ironically a world of podcasting <laughs> as well as we say and we spend I believe more and more time and focus and effort on 
projecting our voice out into the world. It's all look at me, listen to me, watch me doing all these things. And we're so busy focusing on the world, we seem to spend less and less time talking to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where where do you begin? If if you if someone's listening to this and is thinking, oh hang on. That's right. I do tell myself that I'm bad at numbers. I do tell myself, for example, that um, yeah, I, w- I would never be able to start a business even if I wanted to. If people are starting to recognise that, mm. how do they start to, to shift that narrative? I would get them to look at what's the evidence. Mm. What's the evidence to suggest that you couldn't start a business? Who says? Mm. Have you ever tried? Mm. What's the evidence that you'd be no good with numbers. Perhaps in the past you weren't very good. Mm. But who's to say that you can't now? You know, I, I, I can remember my uh, maths teacher, Mr. Mackenzie. God, he was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Well, I have anyway. You are. No, there's no rules here. We've got, we've got ferrets running everywhere. You're allowed oh, well. to swear. <laughs> yeah, I saw them. I saw one run past, actually. But he was. He was a pain in the ass. He, I think I was about 13 years old, and I, oh, he was so cute. I mean, mm. he was really, really cute. And I think he knew that I idolised him. Mm. And he was talking to us about trigonometry. Well, that was one thing I could not get my head around. Mm. Come hell nor high water, I could not figure it out. You could have offered me $1,000 on those days. I still couldn't have done it. Mm. And my friend used to do my homework for me. And every Friday afternoon, without fail... Mr. Mackenzie would say, and now then, Gail, come on up. Come and do the problem for us on the board, knowing that I couldn't do that. Mm. Now, that's bullying. And you must have dreaded that moment as well. Oh, I dreaded the weekend Mm. because I knew what was coming. And rather than say to me, hey, I noticed that you're not comfortable Mm. with doing the trigonometry homework. Let me help you figure this out. That would have had a whole different impact on me. But, you know, for years and years, and I'm talking about not that long ago, people mm. would ask me to come and do a talk. And I go, oh, no, no, I'm not a speaker. Yeah. Because I always remembered what it was like standing up in front of that class and feeling the sweat on my forehead because mm. I knew I was going to look stupid. Mm. No, you know, in my world... Teachers can either make or break a child. He was doing a damn good job of trying to break me. Definitely. You know, and I'm sure if I hadn't been such a feisty little madam, he Mm. could have. Mm. But A, I didn't like maths. Well, I didn't Mm. like that kind of maths. You know, I'm one of these that if you ask me a question about um, how much is this and this, I, I get it just like that. Yeah. And to the extent, if I do something on the calculator, I will still work it out by <laughs> just to make sure I didn't hit the wrong button. Yep. <laughs> so I know what it feels like mm. to be told or made to feel less than. Mm. But I also know how it feels to prove them wrong mm. and to change the narrative. You know, we're the ones that think the thoughts, believe the beliefs and do the behaviours. If those thoughts are not serving us, then all we have to do is, I'll tell you what one of the things I get my clients to do is to write down all the negative thoughts that they've got about whatever Mm. on one side of an A4 page, with a line down the middle. 
And if they've got it in their diary or not the MDS paper diaries these days, but in their notebook, mm. then I get them to do it on the right side. And then okay. on the left side, they write down the exact opposite. Mm. So, you know, even something as simple as somebody says, I'm not good at numbers. Yet. Yeah. I can be good at numbers if I do the right research or mm -hmm. I get the right teacher. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what is it about being good at numbers that you want? Mm. Is it so you can do your accounts? Mm. I don't do my own accounts. No. Hell no. I <laughs> no, do I. You know? Mm. I'm a great believer if it doesn't bring me joy, I outsource it. Yep. I get somebody else to do it. Definitely. And that frees me up to do what I enjoy. Mm. So it's about asking ourselves. The other thing is, was how is this serving me? Mm. How is this negative thinking serving me? Because quite often, it's just our, our ego keeping us safe. Definitely. And if we know that it's trying to keep us safe, then we can actually have a conversation with that part of us mm. that's trying to keep us safe. Definitely. And ask it to use the energy that it's trying to, using to try and keep me safe in a different way. Mm. Because I've got this. I know how to be safe now. So use that energy to help me become more productive and more successful. I love that. I think there's, there's two key areas that, that I see on many occasions where this comes in. And I think a lot of people, they never start something because they tell themselves, I'm not an expert yet. I'm not ready yet. I haven't quite built up my confidence yet. So they spend years kind of circling the plug hole of their dreams. You can put that on a motivational poster. <laughs> circling the plug hole of their dreams, but never actually going in there and going down it. And the second uh, aspect of it is because like, everyone hears the motivational quotes and hears all the stories and mm -hmm. they say, yes, okay, right, I'm going to take the leap and listen to my intuition and follow my dreams and answer the calling. But then they hit a roadblock and it's almost like they, they've, they've taken a few steps out of the mm -hmm. door and then they've stubbed their toe and then they scamper back inside as quickly as they can. Say, oh, yeah, I told you so. I knew this wasn't going to work out. Mm. I told you I was going to be no good at this. And they, I call it um, zigzag thinking. Mm. And they build up the, the big the, the big kind of energy and, uh, and power. And then as soon as they hit something, then they zigzag another way mm. until they can build up the energy again. Then zigzag. Then I do the zigzag motion, which again doesn't really work on a podcast. But, no, it um, but it's making me feel seasick. Well, exactly. That's <laughs> we could put that on our social media. Taming the ferrets. We make you feel seasick. There you go. There you go, Joe Rogan. Put that in your in your pipe and smoke. <laughs> we always throw around the cliches that. Anyone can live the, the life of their dreams. Anyone can achieve anything they set their mind to. One of my personal beliefs that may or may not be correct is that I think a lot of us feel negativity and depression and frustration in our lives because we know that we're capable of so much more, but we don't achieve it for whatever reason. Yeah. But, but, you know, but do you feel that, that people can really achieve their wildest dreams, their goals, their, their purpose, their passion and all these things. Yes and no. Mm. So I just want to go back to that previous bit where you were saying about, um, you know, I'm not an expert, so nobody's going to listen to me and what have you. 
Mm-hmm. When I did my first assertiveness workshop, I got a journal. I think the universe just sort of sends me these things every so often. Mm-hmm. So I had read some assertiveness books after I spoke to that, or that woman spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Because she she triggered something in me, and I thought, well, there's got to be something in this. And I read my first one, and I just thought, oh, my God. It just felt like coming home. Mm. And I became a voracious reader. Anything I could get my hands on about assertiveness. And after I got divorced, I took some time out because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to be a social worker. Mm. Although I take my hats off. My hat? Hats. Hats. Hat. Anyway, I take my hat off. Mm to all the social workers out there because they get so much stick. Definitely. Nobody realises just what they go through. Mm. So I saw an advert in a paper for an evening class tutor on assertiveness. And you know, once again, intuition. I just yeah. felt like I got this doom in my stomach. Mm. And I went, that's my job. Out loud, I said, that's my job. Had I taught assertiveness? No. Mm. Did I know a lot about it? Yeah. But I wasn't an expert and I hadn't been trained in it. I went along, got an interview, went along for the interview, which was in a school mm. back office. And I'm sitting in the foyer and there, you know, the, the, you get the glass fronted offices, yeah. you've got all the admin staff sitting mm. there. And there was two other, two or three other adults, myself and a couple of youngsters. And this teacher came through with this young lad. He must have been about maybe 13. And she proceeded to harangue him in front of every single one of us. And I thought, I don't think so. Mm. That's not going to keep going. So I actually went to go and have a very quiet word in her ear that only she would have heard. And I got called through for my interview. Mm. So I got in there. Dave introduced me to the panel and he said, "Um, any questions before we start, Gail? And I said, well, not a question. I just want to bring something to your attention brought it to his attention and he said I'm sensing you'd like me to do something about that and I went oh hell yeah Mm. and it just came out and he looked at the panel he said "Um, do you like me to do it before or after your interview girl I said oh now Mm. that way I can relax and enjoy my interview so he (laughs) said to the panel I said just talk amongst yourselves I'll be back I'm on an errand (laughs) so and I thoroughly enjoyed talking with him that was part of the reason I got the job because I had mm. spoken up, but it was the way I had spoken up as well. Yeah. And then when I got the job, I thought, oh, crikey. I've never done this, but I knew I could. That was the intuition coming in again. And then three days later, I picked up a local paper. Mm. Tuesday mornings, assertiveness classes, 9 till 12. I thought, that's for me. So I signed up for it. Mm. I got taught it on a Tuesday morning and I taught it on a Thursday night. And on the third, after the third session, the tutor says to me, you should be teaching assertiveness, skill. You're so good at it. <laughs> I said, well, I've never taught assertiveness, you know. Mm. I came here. Wow. You should. <laughs> and after that, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we've each got gifts that we take for granted. Mm. And I think since then, I just live my life like that. I have no fear of confrontation or conflict because I know it's got nothing to do with me. It's not my stuff. Mm. It's the other person's stuff. And I think that's why 
people love my workshops, you know, on tough conversations and assertiveness because they're interactive. They get to see what it feels like mm. when you step out of being passive or passive-aggressive or aggressive and step in to being assertive. Mm. I think this is really interesting because to the uninitiated listener, you think of assertiveness and you think of slamming your hand mm. down on the table and you know doing a bit of a David Goggins and, and shouting at everyone mm. and saying, this is the way it's going to be. And, and that kind of very, um, yeah, very almost confrontational yeah. assertiveness. But would I be right in saying that the true assertiveness isn't about oh, totally. screaming and shouting and, and slamming doors and everything else? Totally right. Mm. I had a woman come on one of my workshops once and uh, she says, I don't actually know why I've been sent on this because I'm very assertive. Mm. And I said, that's a really interesting comment. I says, because in my experience, you're either assertive or you're not. There's no very in it. Mm. If you're very assertive, then you're verging on aggressive. Yeah. You don't need to raise your voice when you're being assertive. Mm. You need to talk to the other person with respect for their ideas, be open to listening to their ideas, even when, and especially when, you have different viewpoints. Mm. And it's about setting clear expectations and boundaries. And I think this is what happens in relationships, whether it's personal relationships or in the work environment. Mm. People are not good at setting expectations and boundaries. Mm. And that's why team morale goes down. That's why bullying starts. And that's why, you know, even CEOs and health, not health and safety, HR mm. um, managers, even they don't like when somebody says, I'm being bullied because they think, oh, my God, the first thing that comes to mind is PG. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I'm such a believer in giving people the tools to create the right environment so that people want to come to work, mm. where they feel safe to show up for who they are, not for who they think they should be. Definitely. It's bringing your whole self to work. Totally. Mm. You know, and especially in the last couple of years when things have been all over the place, mm. you know, nobody knows what normal is or ever was. I yeah. Know, I don't know what normal is. I have no wish to know what normal is. It wants to be normal. I know. I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. But I think it's it's had such an impact on people's psychological well-being, their mm. their um, their mental health, their emotional well-being. Mm. You know, everybody's taken a hammering, and people who thought they were sorted for life, all of a sudden they find out that they're not. Mm. And they have their kudos from their job. And people have ended up not having a job. And they're yeah. thinking they're worthless because they're not earning. Mm. But sometimes, you know, that hiatus is just what we need mm. to fulfill things that have made us feel joyful, have made us want to get up in the morning. To pursue an idea that we once had years ago that we think, ah, no, I better get a job. Mm. Pursuing ideas like, oh, maybe I should move to Taronga and start a podcast. What could go wrong with that idea? <laughs> <laughs> An interesting concept. 
uh, as many parts of, of this as we're saying, it's also that that it's also that feeling of control. And what I mean by that is, again, I speak to lots of people, and I find myself saying this as well. Oh, I've got to go and do that. Oh, I've I've got to go and meet that person. I've got to go and do this, and you know, even even things that are supposedly fun, like I've got to go to the gym. I've got to go. People say these these sentences and they tell themselves these stories. And to me, it sounds like they're giving up control. It's like life is doing this thing to them. You've got to go and do that job you hate. You've got to go and face the, these situations. And I accept that you know, we need to support our families and make money and everything else. But what happens if people do feel that they, they're not in control of their lives and they're almost there? They're just being kind of blown around by the, the winds of change and by these more more assertive forces. I have two words. Stop it. Stopping letting other forces take control? Stop or? believing that other forces have control. Mm. You know, somebody said to me once, oh, I've got no choice. There's no point. I can't do anything. Well, you have a choice. You're just choosing not to make any other choice. You're mm. still making the choice. And when people say, oh, I've got to do this, according to whom? Definitely. You know, that's why I am so, so conscious of people being aware of how they're communicating with themselves. Mm. Because whatever it is that we say to ourselves, we have a choice. We can either believe it or disbelieve it. Mm. And if we feel really shitty when we're talking to ourselves then that's the wrong conversation to be having yeah we have a choice we can continue to feel really shitty mm. or we can say okay do you know something i don't feel good when i'm in this space mm. what do i need to be telling myself to get me out of this space mm. you know it, it's like coming up easter and People are going to be meeting up with their families. Yeah. I was talking about this yesterday with uh, Dione, uh, Dione Stanbridge. She's mm. got the Dione show. Yeah. And it's a Facebook Live, which, oh, my God. <laughs> the first one we did, I was really nervous, however. Mm. Uh, and we talk about relationships, mindset, communication, conversations. And... One of the things we were talking about yesterday was about how, as children, we have our place in our families. Mm. And, you know, if there's more than one child, then there'll be the funny one, the one that, that does well at school or doesn't do well at school, the sporty one or what have you. Yep. And as we grow up, we change, we become adults. We've still got a four-year-old child inside us. Mm. You know, and I've heard people speaking about going back to see friends and family over Easter. And one guy said to me, I said, are you looking forward to going back to seeing your mum? He said, well, kind of, as long as she doesn't give me that look when I walk in the door. Mm. And I say, what is it about that look? And he says, because if she gives me that look, she's, he says, I feel like a naughty little schoolboy. Right. So I said, okay. So... She gives you the look, but you choose how you choose to respond to that look. Mm. And she says, well, why doesn't she just treat me like a bloody adult? I said, well, maybe when you start acting with 
as one when you're around her she will mm. and I know him well enough to to say that to him you know if it was a client I wouldn't be saying it in quite the same way and he went well what do you mean I said it's as simple as hey do you know mum you used to give me that look when I was 10 mm. and I used to feel as if I'd done something wrong but now that I'm 40 I really need you to tell me what that look is about Mm. so that I know what it means and I can do something about it. And all of a sudden he just went, oh my God, can I do that? Can I say that? Mm. And that's a four-year-old saying, can I do it? It's my mum. Yeah. But until we take ownership of the fact that we're all adults now Mm. and we don't fall back into those old habitual ways of being, people won't treat us as if we're children. Definitely. And I see this a lot in relationships as well. And um, let's say I know someone, let's call him Eddie. <laughs> Mythical character, Eddie. Let's say, oh, Ed, of course. Let's say Eddie's at home mm-hmm. with, his, uh, with his wife. And, and a lot of this happened yet. There's sometimes a lot of, why can't you support me? Why don't you believe in me? Why are you treating me like a child? And all these sorts of, like, I'm trying to grow a business here. Why can't you see what I'm trying to do and, and all these things and uh, let's say Eddie was getting a bit like that uh, mm-hmm. for a while uh-huh. but then there was then there was a shift in thinking it, it's almost either playing the victim or playing the child or whatever it, it's I think it's taking that personal responsibility mm-hmm. and, and being assertive I also believe with ourselves and saying oh yeah if if I'm being treated in this way and we see it in the workplace as well people say oh we all love to have a, a bitch about the boss or something and say like, oh, I can't believe they're treating me like this. Or oh, can you believe that person? Oh, and then it's, it's much easier just to, to have an argument oh, and either totally. just, or to have a moan behind someone's back um, rather than actually stepping up and saying, one, maybe I can see why you're treating me like that because I'm acting like a child. Or, or maybe they're not. Maybe. Maybe they're not. Mm. And this is from my experience. But I've been working with organisations where there's been bullying, where there's been dysfunction. And I have to say, the more dysfunctional a team is, the better I like it. <laughs> I think I was probably a bit of a, um, a masochist <laughs> former life. <laughs> but I, I see it a lot. Mm. And the reason that people put up with behaviour is A, they don't think that they have a right to not put up with it. Mm. Other people will see it and they'll be bystanders because they don't know what to do to stop it. Mm. And I have to say, in my way of thinking, a bystander is pretty much as bad as a bully. Yeah. Because at least they're seeing it from the outside. They could step in, but they don't. Mm. But that's not their fault either, in a way, because they just don't know how. Yeah. And managers, leaders, they don't get taught how to deal with these kind of behaviours. You know, we don't get taught at school how to how to have respectful conversations and how to be respectful mm. to our peers. And the kids that bullied in the playground, they just go on to become corporate bullies. Yep. But often that's because they don't know how not to. Because mm. a lot of children bully because the only way they can feel good about themselves is to make somebody else feel bad about themselves. Mm. And I have worked a lot, both with people who have been bullied and people who have been classed as bullied. Yeah. 
and quite a lot, not all the time, but quite a lot, the people who are doing the bullying mm. or doing the behaviour that is that constitutes bullying, they didn't have the best of upbringings. Mm. And I don't mean that they were necessarily um, lower socioeconomic background. Mm. Some of them, you know, came from very, very well-to-do families. Yeah. But it was the narrative that they had been fed as children mm. that they took with them into adulthood. They didn't like feeling less than when they were a child. And when they become an adult, they were determined that no one would ever make them feel like that again. Yeah. But when I gave them the tools and helped them reframe their past, mm. they had no need to bully. No need to bully. I honestly think that age-appropriate assertiveness should be taught at kindergarten. Definitely. Because it would cut bullying by at least half and then some. Mm. I think how how different would would human history be, let alone how different would lives be, if people could be assertive with their lives from the start, if people totally. would not tolerate... Cause I'm a big uh, big fan of the saying, you know, our, our lives are a result of what we're prepared to tolerate. And a lot of people have been prepared to tolerate a lot more than they should have done. And that means they're not where they want to be. Um, right. So that anything that we can do to to help people understand they do deserve to live a life less ordinary and they don't have to tolerate less than they deserve. It's It could be a powerful thing. Oh, 100%. And if it gets, if we start this at school mm. and we teach children about mindfulness and give them exercises so they can de-escalate feelings mm. and stop the start of the behaviour... Definitely. ...then we've got to be on to a winner to make sure that our children don't have to put up with what a lot of people have put up with mm. into adulthood. But you say about in the workplace, we said earlier we were talking about expectations and mm. boundaries. I am such a believer in expectations and boundaries because mm. if you don't know what I expect of you and I don't know what you expect of me, mm. how the hell are we going to know what to do? Yeah. You know, you sent out a thing telling me about the podcast. Mm. We discussed things yep. way back, although we had a totally different conversation <laughs> then, which was wonderful. But we each knew what was expected of us. Yeah. And in the same way, if we have boundaries, personal and professional boundaries, mm. and say to people, this is what I will, I'm prepared to accept, and this is what I'm not prepared to accept. Yeah. If everybody's clear... Mm on what's expected of them and the boundaries that people have, life would be so much easier and I would literally be out of a job. And you know something? Mm. If I had to be out of a job for going mm. in and sorting out bullying and dysfunctional teams, so be it. Mm. Because the world would be a much happier and safer place to be in and to bring our children up in. I love that. And what a wonderful place to unfortunately bring the podcast to an end. Um, it's, Gail, I love our conversations. I always do. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. I think we've helped so many people as, as part of our conversation. If anyone's listening to this and they want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best place to, to, to find you and how do they get in touch? Probably best by my website, which is www.positivepathways.co.nz mm -hmm. and go to the contact page. 
and then that will just come straight through to my email or you can email me gail at positivepathways.co.nz Perfect. Of course, you could always just pick a phone up. Wow. 021-902-616. Wonderful. Gail, before we go, there is one Taming the Ferris tradition that we need to run past you. I'm happy to be honest with our listeners. We were so involved with our conversation. I totally forgot about this, but... <laughs> I'm owning it and I'm being assertive with myself that um, I need to make this happen. So part of the tradition Mm -hmm. is that the previous guest that was on the podcast writes a question for the next guest. Oh, cool. So I have a question to ask you. And Mm. on the back of this, we have the the magical Never Stop Looking Up book. And after this, you get to write the question for the next guest. Okay. But... Who was the last guest? It was... um, Steve and uh, Wiramu from uh, from Kanuka Leadership. But their question for you is, what advice would you give to yourself 10 years ago? Just believe in yourself. And if you're not sure, ask for help. Because people think that they're going to look stupid if they ask for help. Mm. But in actual fact, it's people who ask questions mm. and ask, how do you do that? that get the furthest. You know, when I go on any personal development training for myself or professional development training, which I do quite often, I will ask questions Mm. because I don't want to look stupid if I don't know. Mm. So ask questions, believe in yourself, and remember it's great to ask for help. Thank you so much for it's coming. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has been. It's been a real pleasure. And we'd love to have you in for, for a part two in, in the future. I'm sure we could speak all day and I'm sure <laughs> we will speak again soon. But for now, Gail, thank you so much for being part of Taming the Ferrets. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz.